Good Morning USA. Is that what the show is called? Morning USA morning? This morning? This morning! <laughs> Not Good Morning Britain in American. Welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving, living and learning languages. Hello, Fluent Farm. Hello, listeners. My name is Kirsten Cable and I am here to tell you about anything and everything interesting from the world of learning another language. And today we are focusing on the world of online communication and how we can interpret and read what people mean when they can't, you can't see their face, you can't see their hands moving, you can't even hear the person's voice, and yet you sort of have an interpretation of how they are feeling, what is happening there, what are we using to help us express ourselves online, even in such a restricted medium. And if we're thinking about a restricted medium, you know that a lot of this is going to transfer as well to the world of trying to express yourself for the first time, perhaps, in another language. My guest today is Monica Reardon, a professor and researcher who is looking into how people use emoji online. She first presented at Women in Language earlier this year, and her presentation just blew me away. It was fascinating. So I really wanted to get her on the show for you so we can hear about emoji and online communication and, as she puts it, communicating affect online. So lots of that, more to discover in the interview. That's coming up for you. Before that, of course, we've got one announcement and one sponsor to thank you. And let's start with the sponsor. Our episode today is supported by italki. Italki is an online platform where you can find online tutors that will teach you one-to-one, -one, no traditional classroom required, anywhere, anytime that you need, you require, and in the language of your choosing. The range of teachers that are available on italki is absolutely massive so you can really find someone who suits your language learning style who you get on well with who you can start communicating with and somebody who is teaching the language that you want to learn even if it is slightly rare i've heard of lots of people who found their online tutors on italki i found welsh teachers on there because they are there i found an icelandic tutor on there when i was playing around with icelandic i know Lindsay found guarani teachers on there it's just It, it's endless. There are 10,000 people on italki waiting for a message from you, waiting for you to book a lesson with them, and they're going to be so excited to start to teach you. It's so convenient. Italki generally comes in, that's what they say, at 30% of the, of the cost of offline tutoring. So it might be worth a go as well if you are perhaps learning on a budget. And if you are on a budget, let me help you out because you can get 10 US dollars in italki credits for free when you sign up using the link fluentlanguage.co.uk slash italki and italki is spelled I-T-A-L-K-I. So let's learn some languages, learn how people really speak, learn from native speakers or really advanced learners of that language who love teaching and they are here on italki ready to teach you. Thank you so much to Italki for supporting The Fluent Show. 
Now, as we are heading into August, I wanted to remind you all that Langfest in Montreal is coming up. Langfest, I'm so I'm just already so, so excited because there's going to be such a cool people there and you can connect with learners really from around the world in Canada in this wonderful bilingual city. So if you're on the fence and you've been kind of thinking, should I maybe go to Langfest, you know, should I go to Montreal, give it a go and you are located near there, do it. I mean, come on, it's going to be lots and lots of fun. I'm going to be there giving a talk together with Maria Ortega-Garcia, who you heard recently on the podcast. Let me just bring up the episode number for you and I can tell you where you will find that episode again. It was called How to Play with a Language You Love. It was absolutely mind-blowing. It's episode 141. So if you want to hear a little preview of what Maria and I have got in store for you, that is the episode to listen to. We are going to give a joint presentation. It's going to be really active. It's going to expand your limits and perhaps even take you a little bit out of your comfort zone in language learning. I can't wait to see you there. If you are coming to Langfest, let me know you're coming. You can tell me that you're coming on Twitter. I am on Twitter at Fluent Language or at The Fluent Show, both accounts got them on my phone. I'm going to see your message or you can say hello on, on Instagram where I am Kirsten, K-E-R-S-T-I-N underscore fluent. Kirsten, K-E-R-S-T-I-N underscore fluent on Instagram. You can follow me, but you know, just send me a DM. I'm going to see it. I'd love to know if you're coming. Let's have a fluent show, fan meetup. Let's all go out for a drink and enjoy ourselves. That's what we're there for. So that's Langfest. Oh, one final thing. If you haven't got your ticket yet, you can use K-E-R-S-T-I-N as a code and get 15% off. You're welcome. I get the discounts for you. <laughs> now, before I go into today's interview, one little note. If you are interested in the show notes, if you want to access the links that I have collected for you, the website address for that this week is www.fluent.show slash 147. Make a note of that if you want to get to the links, if you want to get a link to Langfest, get a link to the episode with Maria, get a link to our sponsor where you can get the free money, but also get links to cool books about emoji and the internet. And that time that Monica was on American Breakfast TV talking about emoji. Amazing. It's time for you to meet the woman herself, Dr. Monica Riordan. Monica is an experimental psychologist who now lives in Pennsylvania in the United States. She studies how people struggle or how people don't struggle to communicate with texting, emailing, and instant messaging. And at the moment, she is examining how nonverbal attributes like bold font, repeating punctuation, and emojis express and intensify affect. And today, Monica is here to tell us a little bit more about her research and about how emojis come into online communication. Hey, Monica. Hello. How are you, Kristen? Great. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing very well today. How would you describe what you what you do on a day to day basis in your own words? So I do research basically on how people communicate with each other using online mediums. So usually I focus on interpersonal communication through emails and text messages. But I started moving into more uh, communications that are on mass scale. So oftentimes we're communicating via social media. We're actually communicating to a mass audience of, of some unknown size. So whether we're communicating with, when we write a post on Facebook, for example, or on Twitter, you're really communicating with what you think are your friends. 
But since it's so public, you have no idea who's going to see it or who's going to screenshot it and, and how far it's going to go. Is it going to go viral? You have no idea. And so we design these communications with certain audiences in mind, not realizing that the audience you have in mind might not actually be the audience it reaches. And so I've become rather fascinated by that and how we're able to construct and interpret meaning between us and an intended audience of either one person or many people and how far it ends up going when it's not, when it goes past the intended audience, I suppose I should say. And I focus a lot on both transmitting the emotional content of a message and making sure it's interpreted correctly, particularly how we might use things like um, all capital letters for shouting, or we might use an ellipsis to suggest that we're confused about something, or we might use gifs and memes and emojis and all sorts of other images to sort of convey an emotional state of some kind. Uh, that's mainly what I've been focusing on most recently, although I've now moved into how things like emails can be interpreted by other people that can actually lead to perceptions of who you are, how friendly you are, how likable you are, how um, effective of a boss you are, and different things like that. So not only is it about understanding the message, but once you actually understand and interpret a message, how does it then lead to people's perceptions of you and their behaviors towards you. So I, I kind of look at things on a very large scale. I do lots of different things, but the focus primarily is how people actually communicate with each other through the computer. And and when you say people communicate through the commun through the computer, it's it's particularly this expression of emotion, and that's is that what you call affect? Yes, yes, affect. Mm -hmm. So affect is expressing your emotions in any kind of way. Yes, and it's not even just necessarily an expression of emotion, but an expression of intention, of motivation. Uh, different things that are all often linked to emotion. So, for example, when I'm conveying anger, I'm conveying anger not just to tell you that I'm angry, but also for a purpose. So I might be conveying anger in order to get you to change your mind about something in that way. So, And we express that anger differently than if I'm just expressing, like, blowing off steam, for example. So how we express anger and the motivation or intention behind that expression of anger actually changes the way we express it in a sense. The The reason I'm interested in, or the, the reason particularly in the Fluent Show, I'm interested in in asking you some questions and sort of studying that is number one, I think communication is extremely fascinating to all of us who are learning foreign languages and particularly people who are learning solo, who are adult learners, we're just really in it for the, for the passion. And the... The other side of it is as well that there is aff communicating affect online is nonverbal communication and nonverbal communication can assist us no matter what our language level, right? So we can, we can use that to assist us in, in trying to express something that we maybe don't have the vocab for yet. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so I have a question for you, which is that I know that there's a story and a special reason why you became interested in this particular field of online communication. Can you tell us more about that? 
Well, I started becoming interested in it because I was born deaf. And so I never really had this ability to communicate effectively with people verbally. So I learned how to speak and I learned how to lip read, but I never learned how to use sign language because the vast majority of people don't use sign language. So in terms of trying just to do everyday tasks like communicate with the grocery clerk, that's not really a language that you share in common. So I learned how to lip read quite a lot. And when you lip read, what you start to realize is a lot of what you're getting is their facial expression and their bodily movements. You're spending a lot of time interpreting the nonverbal content rather than just trying to get the words. So, for example, understanding that someone's angry with you is a, probably of most importance versus what exactly are the words that they're saying to you. You don't really need to understand what cuss words are being said to you as long as you understand that they're very angry with you. And so I started getting fascinated by all these nonverbal stuff that was, um, by and large, what I was interpreting when I was communicating with people. It became far more important that I understand that than the actual words. And then as time went on, um, in my early teens, my preteens, um, Instant Messenger came out. So we had AOL Instant Messenger, and we started having phones with text messaging capabilities. And all of a sudden, the... We now had a format by which verbal communication was all you could do. So at this time, you didn't really have things like gifs and emojis and, and all these other things. So you were relying completely on verbal communication. So this was all totally fascinating to me. So now I had just the words people were saying and no nonverbal content, whereas in person, I was getting a lot of the nonverbal content, but very few of the words. And so... Over time, we started trying to, uh, as I did texting more and instant messaging more, and then email became something that everyone started doing, then you're getting a lot of this verbal content. People started adding in the nonverbal things that were missing. So we had the little emoticons, the little smiley face and frowny face, and those started getting a lot more complex. People started making fishes and roses, and it started becoming almost an art form in itself and how we create all these little uh, characters using words. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, was, I was having a lot of fun with that. And then emojis started coming out and, and it started, all these images started coming out. So by the time I ended up getting into graduate school, I was fascinated by this whole process of how I can effectively communicate online. And nowadays you can do everything online so, for example, when I was younger, if I had, uh, so say I was in college and I was setting up a cable in my apartment, you used to have to call the cable company and set up a time for them to come, which I could never do myself. I'd have to ask one of my friends to call the cable company for me to set up an appointment for them to come over. And then nowadays, you can do that online. You can talk to your bank online. You can talk to your cell phone company online. There's all these instant messaging processes and so it's fascinating to me how we communicate with each other about business, about um, our friendships, uh, within relationships, online dating, all this other stuff that's moved from the face-to-face -face realm into online realms. And seeing what kind of different outcomes there might be from that process is fascinating to me, really. Yeah. So when you are studying, you're, when you are studying 
how people communicate online. What does um, a study look like that perhaps you might have done some research in the past, or what what do you what do you even look at? Where do we start? So there's a couple different. Uh, well, I would say if you're starting, the first thing you need to do is just look at what people are doing. So. When people send me emails, for example, and I notice the things that they, they send to me, when people instant message me, I notice what they started doing. And I learn about all kinds of different ways to communicate through how people are communicating with me. I spend a great amount of time sending emails and instant messages and, and all that other sort of thing. There's also a lot of uh, archives out there, like archives of emails from businesses or from listservs, uh, different things like that. So you can look and see the kind of words that people are writing and how they are writing them, the kind of language that they're using. And you can use any number of different software tools to analyze um, the frequency by which certain words appear um, in companion with other words or how frequently certain emojis appear or hashtags has become a new thing that people are analyzing. And then from there, the next stage would be to manipulate this. So you would have people send each other emails that are written in certain ways and see how replies might be different. Or you look at how people change their readings or perceptions of emails depending on whether there is an emoji or not, or whether it's written in all capital letters or not. So you're creating a manipulation and then seeing how people might respond differently or might perceive the communication differently depending on... Um, certain factors that you've altered within that communication. And is this fairly consistent between between different people? So, for example, I'm thinking if I wanted to, if, if somebody, if say I'm posting something on Twitter and somebody replies to me with something that is, they think might be helpful, but I think it's really unhelpful. Say that, I don't know, there's some kind of like somebody wants to, explain something to me that I already know. And I want to reply because I, I do want to show that I have seen it and I, I would do that by replying, but I don't want to hit the like button because I don't really, I'm not that impressed. And I would then write something perhaps like, thanks. And that flat voice tone, I would express with just putting a full stop instead of an exclamation point. But would that person, and it's sort of intentionally ambiguous but would that person get it or is this my particular accent i guess it would depend on the person you're communicating with so one of the interesting things about twitter is that we don't always know who we're communicating with who's seeing it or or their intentions of communicating with us twitter is interesting and partly because it skews younger and more educated than most of the other social media channels And you get people who, um, for better or for worse, will say anything on the internet. I did this study not all that long ago where they were talking about how when people want to say something mean or when they want to say something that they don't think others will react kindly to, they do it through the computer instead of face-to-face. -face. So when you, you depersonalize what you're communicating, And the recipient, so I could say something on Twitter to you, like, oh, I don't like you, or something like that. But I wouldn't say that to your face, because we just have this general society politeness rules. But those politeness rules don't really exist on the Internet. So I can say those things to you on the Internet. But then you get that, and you can brush me off by saying, oh, you don't even know me. 
So it's, it's less personal to you that I don't like you because I'm some unknown person. Whether than if I were to say that to your face, it would hurt you more. I remember because I'm, I'm sort of in my, I'm in my mid thirties and I remember that in the early days of the internet, having a lot of um, sort of cross communication on it, the, you know, when people really started to talk each, to each other in forums and bulletin boards and all that kind of stuff became a thing. There was a big deal for a while around the idea of netiquette, which at the time I thought was sort of this code of conduct that we all subscribe to when we go online. Yes. But it seems from what you're saying that it's just it just never took hold like people people completely ignore it why is that because there are no repercussions there like, so when you get into this area of um you think about when you're talking to someone face to face you start screaming at someone that one's screaming back at you then it's just screaming that's not against the law you're not going to go to jail for that or you know you're hurting each other's feelings and somebody else is going to come along and tell you to quit it and you know the, the fight will end right When you're online, you're this nameless, faceless person that hates someone else for no reason whatsoever. And I can sit there and say, well, you don't even know me. Why do you hate me so much? And you get into this cyberbullying and this flaming, and we don't see the repercussions of our own language on someone else. So if I'm yelling at you in person, I can see that you're getting upset. I can see that I'm hurting your feelings. But if I'm yelling at you online, I can't see that. So there's no, there's no visible repercussions to me of my own behavior. So I have no idea that I'm, how much I'm actually hurting you. And part of trying to come up with this code of conduct and saying, like, you just don't say mean things, is that as social media keeps it changing, any form of online computerized media keeps changing, we're having trouble as a society keeping up with those changes so not only are there no repercussions for my behavior online, and I can't even visibly see how much I'm hurting other people, but the technology is changing so fast that any rules of etiquette we come up with just can't even translate into the next generation of technology that's coming out. Wow, and there's, there's no way I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to think if there is any way I could imagine replying to show the person that they just heard me. So if this happened in person, they could see if I was getting upset. They could, they could, you know, we really have the, the smallest, um, the smallest reaction. I'm, I'm not very good at poker face at all. I've got a really expressive face, it seems. So if I'm getting cross, you know, if I'm getting, if I disagree with you, you'll know, even if I'm trying to, even if I don't want you to know. You'll probably know I really have to control my face. Whereas <laughs> on, online, it's, I can't even think how I would communicate to the person any kind of, any kind of reaction. Cause I wouldn't, I wouldn't reply with a crying emoji. And also it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be clear. No, it wouldn't be. The crying emoji, actually, people tend to think of it as, as almost a joke in a sense. They mm -hmm. think of it as actual, real anger. What, For by and large, people perceive that emojis add more playfulness to a message. They almost increase the positivity of a message. People don't perceive them as negative at all. They're, they're too playful and fun. 
So if mm-hmm. I'm actually trying to express anger, I'm better off not using any emojis at all. That's interesting. Now, uh, a question I have, and so, so okay, so I'll stay on that for a second because I have a, another question, which is, are there then limitations to what, or currently, are there limitations to what our uh, online, say, cool toolkit of of communication supplies, uh, if I'm thinking maybe all caps, maybe specific types of fun- punctuation, emoji, of course, uh, perhaps those, those old-fashioned emoticons, are there limitations to what they can express that that mean we're actually limited, more limited in, in written communication at this point? I think, um, yes, they're, they're actually extremely limited in the sense that predominantly when we are reading a message that has some form of, of what you're talking about, they've got capital letters, it's got an emoji, an emoticon, you know, a GIF or a meme. We don't actually see the person's face or hear their tone of voice. And so we impose a facial expression and tone of voice upon that communication when we read it. So if you were to send me a communication saying something like, absolutely love this new publication you just wrote, a bunch of happy faces after it, I, in my head, would have to hear your voice saying that sentence and imagine what your face looks like when you tell me that sentence. So instead of getting the actual real tone of voice and the real facial expression from you, I'm imposing my own perception of what you would be sounding like and looking like when you said it. Now, whether I'm right or wrong, I have no idea. I don't even have feedback on whether, I, I mean, my, when you say that, I really love this new publication, bunch of, a bunch of emojis after it, I'm going to respond, thanks. That's so nice of you to say. But I, I don't really know whether you're being ironic or sarcastic or if you're just rolling your eyes when you said that sentence or if you're only sending it because, <laughs> you know, and you feel like you have to say something nice because I sent you a link to it. And I don't know. I mm-hmm. only know for sure if I could see you face to face. So in a sense, we're limited by what the other person's perception of what we would sound like and look like saying that sentence is. This makes me think of my one of my one of my fields of study back when I did um, more academic linguistic stuff was politeness studies, which fascinated me a lot because I'm from Germany and I live in the UK and Germans are much, much more direct. And and then recently, maybe over the last seven, eight years, I've worked with a lot of Americans and I've communicated with a lot of Americans. So I've become familiar with how Americans communicate, which has this sort of real, um, they, they're, they're much more positive. The language tends to skew much, much more positive. So this sort of like, I really love your new publication. It's, if you, if that came from a German person, I would read it in a way as more as more honest. And this reminded me of something that you said in your wonderful Women in Language talk, which for the listeners, I will put in the show notes, uh, but you do need a Women in Language ticket to, to view it. So one of the things that you said was that when we interpret what other people are saying, something called egocentrism comes into play. Can you explain egocentrism? A bit more is that we have perceptions of what other people should think about what we're saying or would think about what we're saying. And so 
when we speak to someone else, we actually have no idea what their perceptions of our message are going to be because that person is going to interpret your message based on their own egocentric viewpoint. They're going to interpret your message through their own um, knowledge of the world, their own understandings and perceptions of emotions and feelings of what they believe you should be feeling or should be saying. And that's what they're going to base their interpretation on rather than what you are actually feeling and saying. So we have this idea that other people will understand us based on our words and our body language but in actuality, that other person is going to understand you only through how they see the world. That's egocentrism. And in terms of language learning, learning foreign languages, many foreign language learners feel insecure when they speak to a native speaker in particular. Not so much an advanced learner, but when we speak to a native speaker, the stakes are high because... Uh, they feel judged and worry about the effort that the other person has to make, worry about the judgment. And there's a lot of judging yourself that comes into it, knowing, noticing when you've made a mistake, thinking, oh God, I've heard that, you know, what's happening now. Uh, do you have any tips or thoughts on how we, how we can interpret or how we can, how we can deal with that when we are speaking? particularly online because so many people might put something put something out on the internet and feel very vulnerable for it i would say that everybody feels that way and you probably shouldn't worry too much about it we all worry about what other people are going to think about us or what they're going to perceive about us or how they might judge us all sorts of things um so a lot of times when we dash off a message you know very quickly we don't we don't spend a lot of time replying in instant messaging and on Twitter. We don't put a lot of thought and a lot of effort into what we're saying. And so sometimes people misperceive that and it spirals out of control and we blame ourselves for not being clear. But it's really the medium that we have to blame here. It's really, mm. it's an impoverished medium in which we're just writing a couple of words and we have to do so quickly before so in the nature of replying to something. And so we're all in this space where we're going to be misinterpreted. People are going to judge us. People are going to have certain perceptions of us or behave differently towards us based on how we say something or when we say something or how long our reply is and, and so on and so forth. So if you're feeling that way, it's a perfectly normal feeling to have no matter who you're communicating with or when and in what format. Absolutely. And I think that's such an important thing that you just said that, and, and to realize that it's not about our, our language skill in a foreign language. It's not even about, it's, it's, it is really the medium gets involved there. And in that way, I think there's a real communality, com, common, commonality. <laughs> there's a real, that those, those two ch channels and both, they're both, I love I love the expression an impoverished medium because that is that is often how I think how you feel when you're trying to say something in a foreign language as well and both of them we really have that in common that it makes you anxious it makes you nervous and it makes it makes it harder than face to face communication in your in into languages that are native like it makes it so much harder to to work out what's meant and what's said now one thing I've noticed as well when typing and texting in my target languages is that people, especially native speakers, they change how they type. And what I mean is they, 
communicate so differently to how I would learn it in my course. They shorten words, they use really casual expressions, everything runs together. You know, I'm, I'm learning Welsh and sometimes people will just, they just won't type half a word or they'll spell it completely differently so that it sounds the same. And, and it's just, you know, like it's, it's how we type. It's, I guess it's the equivalent of saying the word hate with number eight or something like that. Why do people do that? Well, it's actually really interesting that you mentioned that because one of the things that I've noticed is that when people are comfortable with each other, or they often add these elements of playfulness into their writing, and it can be used to make people feel more comfortable or to show, hey, we're friends, you get it, you understand, and um, it's it's an element of playfulness, of playing with language in itself. Now, you wouldn't do that to someone that you didn't feel would understand. So there's a level of comfort there when you start communicating that way, when you start shortening words, using abbreviations, um, responding with just simple, um, simple short phrases that you both understand. It's, uh, people do that when there's a level of comfort, when there's a level of understanding, when there's a level of, of friendship or a deep enough relationship there that they feel comfortable communicating that way. So it's a good thing, actually. <laughs> yeah. I can think of it almost as a, as a language learning goal. Like, I want to get so good that people start getting more casual with me and stop treating me as this formal, formal learner. Exactly. Exactly. That's what you want. That's how you know your, your friendship has really taken hold when people don't feel like they have to be very formal and they have to write out all their phrases. And it's effortful to type out everything. And we often second guess how to actually put something in words so that we can convey well to someone else what we're trying to say. It, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of time. So when we're close enough to someone that we feel we can expend less effort communicating with them, it's actually a really good thing. Mm, fascinating. Yes, very, 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 very true. And and I think a, really a goal of, of many of us. And this makes me made me think made me think about emoji and for example that when you have a specific friend group you can like i have a chat thread with friends that has been ongoing for for ages and ages and ages and every now and then you might come back to this chat thread and there's been a massive discussion but you haven't been there for you haven't you looked for a day or something and there's been this massive discussion about something that you kind of medium care about maybe don't care about like two of them might start discussing star trek with each other or something and I, i don't care about star trek <laughs> and one of my friends she kept putting uh, the thumbs up emoji just just and it felt a little bit out of context and at some point we saw her in person we said oh thumbs up emoji what does that mean and she she said i just put that when i haven't really read it all <laughs> <laughs> it's just <laughs> so you just i haven't read it or i've sort of skimmed it and I, I, i kind of i don't care and i've got nothing to contribute now in most communications with with friends outside that friend group i would never use that emoji in that way but for for this small group of people who have actually explained that used to each other almost it's it's become like our emoji dialect that's true and, and part of one of the things that we were talking about this sort of um netiki thing earlier and one of the things is people get offended if you don't respond to an instant message um, almost as if you don't care and it's not that 
we might not care about the topic or we might not want to participate in the discussions about that particular topic, might feel like we don't understand enough about the topic to participate in that conversation. But you have just sheerly out of politeness, you have to respond somehow to indicate that you've read it, to indicate that you are present in that relationship with that group or with that person. And emojis have come in very handy on this. So, for instance, my husband might text me something like, I'm headed to the grocery store. Now, there's no reason why I need to respond to that message. But if I don't respond to that message, he's going to wonder whether I saw the message. And he's probably going to send it again just so that I, he knows I know that I, he saw it. And so he'll say something like, I'm headed to the grocery store. And I might respond with a thumbs up or a heart or a happy face or something just, just to let him know that I saw the message. I know where he is. <laughs> I'm going to the grocery store and then you do a heart like that could that you're right that that could have so many so many interpretations like okay or oh I love that you're the kind of husband who goes to the grocery store or I love that grocery store it could have so many (laughs) but the underlying reason I'm sending is just that I saw your message that's all I'm trying to say really and that's Mm -hmm. where the thumbs up actually comes in handy like great you know just just a Black comment on I saw the message. <laughs> and is that the reason? Is that kind of thing the reason why we keep getting more and more and more emoji? Uh, that we keep we keep discovering more and more needs of things that we want to communicate? Yes and no. I think people have this idea that if we just have enough emoji, we'll be able to communicate anything. And that's not true at all. I really don't think so. But people have used emoji as a form of art, as a form of playing with language, as a form of self-expression. And because of that, that's why we're getting more and more emoji. And so some of these things are useful. I think the thumbs up is very useful in, in a linguistic sense of just conveying, you know, that's great. You know, you know terminating conversation saying that I saw, uh, I saw a particular message or I'm still present in this conversation. That's very useful. But um, every time they release these new emojis, there's always emojis of different kinds of animals or they have several different types of families now in emojis or they'll have flowers. And there's really no real reason to use those emojis as a way of communicating something. It's more of a way of playing with language. It's a way of spicing up your messages, of, of expressing yourself. So when you say, I could just simply write, I'm going to go outside and garden now. Or I could say, I'm going to go outside and garden and put five or six different flower emojis and trees and bushes and other things like that. And it's just a way of making the message happier, more positive, um, more colorful, more artful. It's not really communicating anything extra in its sense. So people have started to use emojis not necessarily as communicative devices, devices intended to make things more obvious or easier to interpret, but more as a self-expression or for art forms in themselves. Mm-hmm. This makes me think of there are there are two cases that I kind of had had in mind for um, to, to to mention to you, and the first one was 
Back in the day when we had emoticons, and you already mentioned like there used to be this this ASCII art thing, and we used to be able to, you know, you could have a bunch of flowers expressed through just different punctuation marks in different positions, etc. And there's one called the table flip emoji that is there's also sort of an old fashioned emoji. Um, and the my my husband Christian is a programmer who started programming in 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 the 90s he started writing code in the 90s so he's sort of old school like he's pre-emoji computer person and he loves it when i talk about him on the podcast he does not but let's do it anyway <laughs> and I, i i showed you this tweet earlier that I, i wanted to share it here because i had a question about it which was his usage so i'll, I'll embed for you listeners i'll embed the tweet in the show notes and it's basically um The new Star Trek Picard film, people, the, the, the promo campaign released a, an image of the film's artwork. And in this film artwork, you can see Picard surveying his land, surveying his vineyards in France or something with his trusty dog by his side. And my husband, who's much more of a cat person, goes, Picard, a dog person? And then we saw the table flip emoji. and. Beyond expressing, so I, I I observed that and I thought this is really, really interesting because there's two things that I read there and I'm wondering if if somebody else would read the same thing, is number one, I am crossed that Picard is a, is a dog person, I want Picard to be a cat person, but the other thing is because I'm not using an emoji and I've chosen to use old school emoji, I'm also showing I'm old school and... And I'm kind of nerdy. So what you're getting from this is, so you're using your own, so there's two things you're doing here. One is that you're filtering the message through your own understanding of, mm -hmm. of your husband's personality and his own beliefs and perceptions of the world. But then on top of that, you're layering this idea of, Your, of your own feelings as a result of that message, as if he is sent that message in order to create some sort of reaction specifically out of you, almost as if it's a, a personal thing in a way. But this was a tweet on Twitter, right? Open to lots of different people, right? That's right. And I guess he doesn't tweet just to me. Right. <laughs> That'd be really weird. So who the intended audience in his head was that was reading this message, you actually have no idea. You are one person reading this message through your own egocentric viewpoint based on what you know about the person who sent it and then making perceptions about that person's intentions and emotions and, and um, other things about that person as a result of having read it, which is very interesting <laughs> to bring that up. So I can't actually tell you in any way what he meant by that emoji or what he said. And, and since I don't know the person at all, it would be somewhat presumptive of me to to suggest that I would. But it, it's interesting how how you've been doing that, though. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I interpret everybody's I, I'm sure I interpret everybody's online language much, much more than I than I should maybe should or much more than i guess I, i i much more than than i guess oh my god yeah no i totally read the internet in in my own dialect in my head oh this this brings me to this brings me to to a question that is more relevant perhaps for everybody rather than kirsten's personal therapy um are emoji then a language learner's 
best friend or do we have to when we're learning a foreign language also learn emoji language is is internet language a different language how does what so 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 i guess my question <laughs> you know it's it's so complicated already to learn to try and learn to express yourself in another language but and and i guess i always thought of emoji as they support me you know if i really struggle i guess i can always use like car emoji if i, if I forgot the word for car so to a certain extent you can use them to stand in for your vocab but even beyond that um do you think that could that could go wrong I, <laughs> yes and no uh, I, oh think you're right. <laughs> i think you're right in the sense that they do support us and um if we're not quite sure that someone might understand what we're trying to say or that we're we're not quite sure that someone will understand that we're being we're saying this positively so for example let's say um You might say something like, just tried that new video game, and then you would put a bunch of happy face emojis to let them know that you're you're saying that in a positive way, not not negative whatsoever, you know? Um, or I just sent you feedback on your paper and put a bunch of happy face emojis so that they're not anxious as a result of having read that message, which I do with students all the time. Um, And I think they, they support you and in conveying the intention or motivation or, or even some affect behind that message. However, I do think you would run into problems because, and this isn't just from um, uh, between foreign languages. So even within a single language, you're going to run into issues where people impose certain meanings upon emoji that may or may not be understood by different groups who also speak the same language. So there are hidden meanings to emojis. So, for example, the unicorn. A lot of people see that as just, it's a unicorn, right? So it's, it's a fun little, uh, little animal, mythical animal that you can use to, for fun when you, when you write your text messages or your tweets. But other people use it specifically to indicate when something is rare. So I give this example of how I am always late to everything. And so one day I actually showed up on time. And one of my friends texted me this message with a unicorn. And it wasn't meant to symbolize a unicorn. It was meant to symbolize, well, that never happens. That's completely rare. Sort of like a you know, when pigs fly kind of thing. We need an emoji of a pig flying, by the way. It would be a really good idea. But so there, there's hidden meanings behind a lot of these emojis. And that's when you get into things like the eggplant and the peach and, and other mm -hmm. things that are meant to, <laughs> meant to symbolize body parts, right? So some people understand the hidden meanings and some people don't. And we don't always know whether other people understand those hidden meanings. And those hidden meanings can actually vary from one group to another. So there are a lot of instances in which I have parents of teens asking me, what does this emoji mean? Because the teens clearly have some sort of hidden meaning for that. And I always have to tell the parents, well, I don't know what your particular group of teens is saying with that emoji. But here's what some other people have said using this emoji. So because we have a, a limited number of emojis and we can't just create them ourselves necessarily, well, I guess we could, but you can't necessarily just create ones yourselves and put them into your, your phone using this emoji menu. 
So if you want to say something using an emoji, you're going to have to adapt an already given emoji for that purpose. And the same thing with words. We often play with words and create new meanings for different words in our world that may or may not be understood by other people who speak the same language who may not have the same adapted, hidden meaning to that word that you do with your friend group or within a given culture. So I wouldn't even necessarily say that's an issue that applies to foreign language learning. I would say that's an issue that applies just even within a given culture or between different groups of friends. The meaning of an emoji could be completely different. Mm. So as a language learner, I don't need to worry about emoji as an or, or online language really as an extra as an extra layer but there will be things I have to be open to discovering things there's a question I got from from our Facebook group the fluent language learners group and that was Ingrid asking I'd love to hear how emojis are used differently around the world if if you've ever done any research or if you know anything about that and the cultural reasons for that um, and is, for example, she cites how different cultures express laughter online. So we've got ha ha ha. And then in Spanish, they've got J-A-J-A, which is like ha ha ha. I think if I'm pronouncing it right. And then she put five, 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 which I don't know where that is, but I guess there's a five somewhere that's pronounced similar to laughter. Um, so, so yeah. So are there, are emoji used differently around the world? Do different cultures have different emoji? styles? I would say absolutely. I don't actually know a lot of the uh, research around that, but they're, it, they absolutely do. So for instance, in some cultures, the thumbs up is actually considered extremely rude. Uh, you just don't do that around other people. You don't give people a thumbs up. But here in the United States, people do it all the time. They do it in person. They, they have stickers that you can put on students' papers that are thumbs up. They have, um, you know, we use that emoji all the time here, but it's not considered a rude hand gesture here whereas it is in other countries. Um, one of the things, uh, just the style of emoji used to be different from country to country. So in the United States, we overuse, I will say overuse, happy faces. We put happy faces on absolutely everything. And it's kind of what you were saying before, like language is just uh, inherently happier here for, for whatever reason. Whereas you don't see that kind of pattern in other countries. Now, I don't know too much about the research behind all of that, but I do know a lot of the top emojis that people use, things like the heart and the kissing face and ones that symbolize love and friendship are used more often across the world than most other emojis, but they're used at very different frequency rates. So Americans use emojis a lot, but not as much or as um, or a, a, quite a variety as people in Japan do. But the intentions and purposes and motivations behind all of this emoji use, I don't know enough about um, cross-culturally or linguistically, but I do know that they vary from country to country. So I'm not quite sure if I were to go to Germany and start texting Uh, using emojis with someone who is German, they, I think they would have to, we would have to establish a, a method by which that person understands that I'm just going to use a lot of happy faces just because I'm an American. <laughs> mm -hmm. I would have to understand that the person, the German person just doesn't use a happy, lot of happy faces, not necessarily because they're unhappy, but just because they're German. 
So mm-hmm. just understanding that, I think, off the bat is going to help alleviate a lot of the uh, foreign language learning issues. But it would, I would tell, my advice would be just to be open to recognizing that there are going to be cultural differences in how people use emojis and what they use. And if you aren't quite sure what they mean by an emoji, just ask. And this, you don't have to sit there and try to wonder, just ask. What, what does that emoji mean to you? In the same way you were talking about with your friend, your friend put a lot of thumbs up and then you just asked her, what did that mean? And she explained it to you, then you, you learned that way. Mm-hmm. So in the same way that you might ask about a word that you do not know, but it's not even like you can feel as a language learner, you can feel even, even better about that because it's not like you've, you've missed a vocab word or you've forgotten a vocab word. You, you don't even have a reason to beat yourself up because you don't find, um, you don't find in the dictionary that this culture might use this particular emoji in a specific way. Is that this is still so, so new that we're, I feel like we're making the rules up as we go along. No, we can't. I mean, you can go online, you can go to Amazon or some other online bookseller, and you will find emoji dictionaries. And none of these are any good. They are completely useless. Because people use emojis for for things that have absolutely nothing to do with their actual intended purpose of creation. So you're really kind of on your own as constructing a meaning between you and the person that you're using that emoji with. And the construction of that meaning sort of defines what that emoji is going to be between you and that specific person, which may not necessarily generalize to every relationship that you have. So for example, if you're using the eggplant emoji with your mother, it stands for an eggplant casserole. That is your absolute favorite that she makes every time you come home for dinner. But using that exact same emoji with, you know, your husband would mean something very different. <laughs> so, <laughs> it might it, yeah yeah it might not mean you're negotiating we're gonna have, have aubergine for dinner yes it's a negotiation of what that emoji is going to mean but it's very specific to the relationship that you have with the person that you're using it with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that sort of That's, makes it very difficult <laughs> now you mentioned earlier about um, americans using a lot of happy faces and happy emoji and that made me wonder When there are more happy emoji used in a culture, do we assume that the people are happier there? Oh, no, absolutely not. Is Denmark all smiles (laughs) on the internet? (laughs) I would say no, you can't make that assumption. So one of the things that's very interesting about, uh, I had mentioned this earlier, is that you can use your, you can sort of hide behind your messages when you're communicating on a computer. No one sees your facial expressions. So your facial expressions are involuntary. So we involuntarily, um, you know, purse our lips when we hear something that we don't like or raise our eyebrows when we're surprised. We don't do that on purpose. But when you're texting or you're emailing and you use emojis, you are putting them there on purpose. Right? That's a completely voluntary behavior. So what that means is that you can use that to manipulate what the other person's perceptions of the message should be. So let's say I send my mother uh, a message and, and she sends me one back that I think is rude of her or something. Or she'd be like, don't wear that dress. It looks terrible on you. And then I send back and, and it offends me. All right. I'm offended by this message and I think she's being rude to me. 
but I don't want her to know that she hurt my feelings. So I'm going to send back the laughing emoji, like, ha, 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 you know? I'm not really laughing, but I don't want her to know that she hurt my feelings, so I'm going to use that emoji just to sort of let the whole thing go. I don't want to get into an argument or anything like that. So, mm. so, as a, so when I was saying earlier about how emojis can be expressions of affect, it's more than just emotion. It's, it's utilizing them to, for, for a particular purpose that may or may not be emotion-related. We can use them to lie. We can use them to, um, to motivate others to behave differently or to think differently or to have different perceptions without actually conveying how we truly feel. So Americans tend to use a lot of happy faces just to sort of make things seem lighthearted and happier, when not necessarily that they are lighthearted or happier, but more that they just don't want to get into arguments online or they don't want to um, have negative dialogue going at that particular moment. They don't want people to take things negatively. So they'll use happy faces to ensure that they're conveying more positivity for whatever purpose, not necessarily that they are positive. Mm. So there was one there was one question I had to that and uh, probably going to be my closing question. This is such a fascinating topic and such a big sort of big area and I love that it's just just evolving. So something that you mentioned at Women in Language which was was that when people use emoji there are many unspoken rules and things that we instinctively know or we feel that we instinctively know how to interpret or we kind of have a go. For example, that using an emoji, using, using an emoji in a message tends to add humor or positivity to messages, even a fairly negative message somehow, because it's cute. We just, we just feel it. So often language learners are advised to immerse themselves in their target language in order to, to achieve the same result, this instinctive knowing. And that's something that we, we desperately desire. What, is there anything that a language learner can adapt from how the whole world seems to have learned the, the internet language of emoji. I'm not sure that we can. So one of the things I struggle with is talking about emojis as an international language. Mm -hmm. So I, when you're utilizing it in such, let's say I, I have this message and I write, um, all right, I'm going to bed. Good night. I love you. And I write that out and you don't speak the language. So you don't actually understand what the words say. But at the end, I have a emoji of a person in bed and a moon and a kissy face. So then you sort of get the intent behind the message. All right. So it's nighttime. You're going to bed. Here's a kissy face, meaning I love you. So you don't understand the words, but you understand the emojis. And so it sort of transcends linguistic differences. Emojis can transcend linguistic differences. But within a given culture, emojis can mean things very different. So I, I sort of imagine that if I were to start texting people um, from cultures that don't use happy faces quite as much, they'd probably get kind of fed up and annoyed with how often I send happy faces. And they'd probably start to ask, why do you do that so much? You know, And I would have to learn to adapt 
to that culture's um, linguistic differences. And I think we do that quite a lot, no matter what. So even with our, <coughs> sorry, our facial expressions or our bodily movements, we adapt to the culture that I'm in, that we're in. So I remember I was with a friend of mine, and we were in France. And this one, every time we went into a shop, we would hear uh, the person in the shop speaking French. And then we would come up to the counter, and immediately they would switch to English. And this friend and I were sitting there like, well, how did they know that we didn't speak French? How did they know to immediately switch to English before either of us ever opened our mouths? And so we finally asked one of the people in the shop, and they said, oh, because you're constantly smiling. We were smiling. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, we knew you had to be an American because your face was, you were smiling the whole time you were standing in line. When you got to the front of the line, you smiled at me. So I knew you had to be an American. <laughs> it's a dead giveaway. And, and so we even have to adapt our facial expressions to try to become more accustomed or, or fit in better, I guess, would be the right way to say it, within a given culture. And of emojis as well. There are certain things, like people understand um, a smile is you conveying a positive, non-threatening facial expression, uh, a gesture of friendship even. Everybody in the world would understand a smile is a positive thing. But how you use it and when you use it tells a person a lot about you. And it can mean different things in different situations where it may or may not be appropriate for you to smile. And you sort of give yourself away when you smile at something that you don't understand you shouldn't be smiling at. So, mm-hmm. so it, it's, it's tough for me to say that you could just learn emojis as a language and it would be universal. You would have to immerse yourself in how emojis are used within a given culture. That said, there are some emojis that I think can be universally understood. So a person lying down in bed with the moon means you're going to sleep. It's late at night. Beyond that, though, you really have to worry or think about how other people in that culture are using those emojis. And the only way to do that is through practicing, through just doing it and making mistakes and learning along the way, asking questions, getting feedback, all that other kind of stuff, just like any other language that you would learn. Very, very true. And very, I think, I think that's really, really well said. And it just, it sort of reminds us as well that, that there are limitations and the, the, the moral I'm kind of taking away from this is ask people what they meant especially if if it's communication online and you're you're not sure like no matter if it is a language it's not always a yet a language barrier and that's what emoji really or this conversation about emojis has really shown shown me is that it's not always just the language barrier it's it's also it can be a cultural barrier even between small friend groups that that just comes up so ask people what they meant if you want to if you want to be sure, you know what they meant, and also you're signaling then to them that there is there is a difference, and there's no shame in asking. Now, Monica, final question: what What do you have a favorite emoji, and what do you which ones do you use a lot? I would probably say my favorite emoji, the one that I I do use the most often, I would say, will be on the happy face. I am an American; I use a happy face a lot. <laughs> is the thinking face. 
So there's this face that has its hand up to its chin. And it looks like it's thinking. And oh, I, I use- love that one. Yeah, I love it. It's so good because if you don't have an immediate answer or you're confused or you don't understand something or, you know, for, for any given purpose, really, you can use this thinking face. So if somebody tries starting an argument with you, you use the thinking face. You know? <laughs> and it, it, it's so useful in so many different ways. And um, so I would say beyond the happy face, that's probably the one I use the most. And, and it's one of my favorites because it has so many different utilities. Happy face and thinking face. Brilliant. Monica, if people want to find out more about your research or want to contact you or ask questions or read more about what you've been doing online, is there anywhere that we can send the, the listeners of this podcast? Yes, I do have a website and I can send you the link to that website. And that website has all of my research on it which links to all of the papers. It also links to a video. Um, I was on the Today Show, which is a major American news show here in the United States. And uh, so there's a clip of that um, from last year's World Emoji Day that we had. Oh, fabulous. Yes, well, that, that tells you a little bit more about how emojis are used within relationships and what they mean. Um, in terms of disambiguating meaning or conveying more affect in that message. Um, so, yes, if you just go to my website, you should be able to find any number of different things. And you also have my email on there, so you can ask me any questions that you might have. You can also find more information about Monica in Monica's profile on the Fluent Show website, which is fluent.show slash guests slash Monica, and that's where we're going to put your info, Monica. And on this show, I always sign off um, by saying it's goodbye from me, and then I say goodbye, and then goodbye from Monica, from my guest, and you get to say goodbye, and that way you get the last word, and you can say goodbye in any language of your choosing, or you can just wave, I guess, just say you're waving. <laughs> you're happy face. So it's goodbye from me, goodbye, and goodbye from Dr. Monica Reardon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. Don't forget that you can send us your comments and questions to be answered on the show to Kirsten, that's K-E-R-S-T-I-N, at fluentlanguage.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter at The Fluent Show. We're always so excited to hear from you. We read every message. Don't forget to review us. See you next week.